0: Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today.
1: What's up, guys? We appreciate you checking in with us here on another edition of the Glory UGA podcast on Dog Sports Radio, a V-Sport-O channel. With you, as always, I'm Tyler, and I've got my co-host Curtis here on the other end of the line. You can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA, where we really do love to interact with all of you out there. Um, but we know there's some of you that don't really do the social media deal. So if that's you, you can still contact us with any questions or concerns uh, about the program you'd like, you'd like us to, to bring up, any topics you want us to discuss, any ideas you have and you'd like to hear about throughout the offseason. We'd love to hear from you. So if you don't do social media, you can still contact us via email at gloryugapodcast.com. So we're actually still getting uh, some good questions coming into the email address. So send them in if you got them. Um, just another friendly reminder speaking of questions. We will be doing our February listener mailbag show next week, so be sending in all the questions and/or topics you want us to discuss on the show. Or it might be last time it was in January it was two shows. We had so many questions, so if you, depending on how many questions we have, we might have more than one listener mailbag show. But whatever you've got, question wise, hit us up with those on Twitter or via email. Whatever works for you guys. It's going to be anything. Football, baseball, basketball. Actually, I actually had one baseball question coming today from somebody. So we'll bring that up on the show next. Because that is... Uh, I think it start, yeah, it starts this weekend. I'm, I'm going to the, the home opener on Friday. So should be fun. Uh, but, but today, we are going to discuss something that, that kind of caught my attention last weekend. Uh, wanted to do a show on it this week. But we've been promising... I wanted to do it the first show this week. But we had been promising the recruiting show. So we went ahead and went with that first. But I did want to get to this topic as well uh and it's pro football focus it's a website are you familiar with pro football focus not uh, really not really yeah it, it, they're kind of a a, a a new name on the scene uh i really found them for the first time this season during the football season i really liked uh what kind of what they brought to the table it's a website that despite their name pro football focus they actually do a fair amount of college football analysis uh and in fact i really do think they do a pretty good job covering the sport they take a uh, a more analytical approach to the game, which I kind of appreciate because I think it provides some very revealing insights into teams and trends and games and whatnot. Uh, well, anyway, pro- football folks, even if you're not familiar with that, I would encourage you to check this article out. They published an article late last week titled How the Georgia Bulldogs Could Make a Surprise Title Run. And in this article, they kind of laid out the case for us making a surprise run to the college football playoffs next season, and not even just making a a run to the college football playoffs, but potentially even winning the whole thing. And the impetus of the article, uh, the motivation behind it for them, was the trend that they uh, were detailing that had kind of seen our national title odds drop over the past month. And drop is, I mean, like we became more, not a favorite, but we got closer to that end of the spectrum. Um, And they detailed in the article, on uh, January 17th, we opened at 33-1 to odds to win the national title, then a week later, we dropped to twenty-five to one odds to win the national title. And then, according to them, as of late last week, our odds had dropped all the way down to twenty to one odds, which is pretty favorable if you consider we're coming off an eight and five season um, in the second year of Kirby Smart's tenure. I'm really not sure exactly what service they were using for those figures because if you look at, it, I've, I still see some spots where we're like thirty to one odds. But according to Pro Football Focus and Gordon McGinnis, the guy who wrote this, uh, they've seen it down to twenty to one odds somewhere. So, Chris, the first thing I'm going to ask you, just start with the odds, like twenty to one odds. I mean, that, those are pretty solid. I mean, like give you some reference, like Bama's like at seven to one odds. So obviously, they're much more favorite than we would be considered, but we're not too far off there. Do you like those odds? Does That sound right to you, twenty to one? Are we that close to being a, a national title contender?
0: Um, I think you have to give us a legitimate shot because there's multiple factors going into it. Um. You know, we'll get into later in the show, but I think you got to look at the strength of our defense, everyone that's coming back, um, and the fact I think another favorable thing that gives us these odds is honestly our schedule.
1: The schedule, I will definitely agree with you. Is it's fa- more favorable than it has been in the past uh, this year? I don't think our schedule. I mean, was... you, have
0: a, you have a rough. You have a rough um, away game at Notre Dame.
1: But is that know, rough? But, I mean, they're coming off at season. Even well, like a bowl game, they got a new quarterback.
0: You know, if, in previous seasons, that would be a rough game. Right.
1: tradition that's considered but, a rough game, and it's on the road at Notre Dame, so you, that's a, it's still going to be a game that we got to bring our A game to. to yeah, game. it's
0: still going to be a tough game, but the thing is, Notre Dame, especially the last couple of years, they've been in turmoil up there. um You've honestly seen a steady decline in their program since going to the national championship.
1: Well, they're having a revolving door now, in, in many of their different coaching staff positions. Uh, they kind of had a revolving door at quarterback. There's a lot of a lot of controversy there, whether it's you know it was ever Golson, then League Zaire, then Zaire gets hurt, and then you got Deshaun Kaiser comes in, and now he's gone. But by the time he leaves, Malik Zaire is kind of turned off by the program, and he's gone. He's got a brand new guy going to be starting, maybe Brandon Wimbush. I don't know, um, but yeah, I. The name gives you some pause there. Is Notre Dame is at Notre Dame, so that in itself is not going to be an easy game. But still, this is a Notre Dame team that's coming off a, a very poor season where they did not make a bowl game and lost some games they had no business losing. And they're not nearly as talented. The recruiting's kind of falling off a little bit there. So, yeah, I mean, that's your toughest at-a-conference game. Although, hey, do not discount that opening game against Appalachian State. All right, those guys are going to be able to play. Taylor yeah, Lamb's coming back.
0: you're going to see – you're gonna see Kirby drill them, especially after that, like that where
1: they yeah, you're right. Where I mean,
0: they play so closely he's gonna he's gonna grill them. The one thing that really helps that game is you know their their star running back
1: graduated. He did graduate, but the quarterback's coming back, and he's a big centerpiece of that offense. Taylor Lamb, uh, son of a uh, high school coach here in Georgia, if I believe correctly, the coach at Calhoun. I'm pretty sure it's the Calhoun head coach's son. Don't quote me on that 100, percent but I'm pretty sure that's correct. Um, but so that I mean, all you gotta do really to get us move over that game is turn on the tape of the Tennessee's opening game against them last year, where they should have beaten Tennessee. Um, so hopefully our guys don't overlook things. As if we do, you know, first game, new season, could be rough. But I mean, our conference schedule—we'll uh, get into this in a little bit. But it's not a little bit later. We'll talk about this a little more. But it's not overwhelmingly dangerous, um, especially compared to what it has been in past years and could be. So, I don't know, though. Like, do you think as early as 2017, as early as this coming season, we're, like, legitimate national title contenders? Oh, my I, does that, that is, This doesn't sound right yet.
0: It doesn't sound right, but the opportunity is there is what I'll say.
1: I think I, – I don't think you're wrong there. Like, if you look at our roster, I don't know if our roster is national caliber or national title caliber yet. I think we've got some guys that are yeah, national caliber – it
0: is, you know, with the way the system is now
1: that – just there's get still in. an opportunity to get in. You might get. Yeah, I think
0: what if, I think the biggest thing is getting into the playoffs. Because once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen.
1: Yeah, and and look, there's been some teams in the playoffs that probably shouldn't have been there. Michigan State two years ago had no business being in there. They were exposed. Um, Washington this year had no business being in there. You see, I mean, now by I guess they deserve to be in there by virtue of what they did during the regular season. But again, that's uh, largely that was a function of schedule. Uh, and maybe that could be similar for us this year. Although I think our, our non-conference schedule with Notre Dame in, in there is going to be uh, a good bit better than what Washington put up. There. I think their toughest non-conference game last year was was Rutgers, um, when, who was atrocious, terrible, one of the worst teams in Division One. So you're right, just getting in there. And if you're right, the way this si- the, the system is structured, it's you got to win two games. You get in, you get hot, and you win. I mean, how many times going to, going to college ba- basketball? I draw a parallel here. How many years would you say the best team actually wins the NCAA tournament? Remember UConn a couple years ago? Were they really the I best mean, Kentucky. team? Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky. Yeah, when they – I mean, these are teams that just get hot at the right moment. You can you can string yeah, together a couple undefeated. wins. They were undefeated and they lose. Yeah, yeah, they were undefeated. They lose. I mean, I, there's a couple – I mean, the the Duke team – Villanova though, last year. Yeah, Villanova last year. I don't think Villanova was the best team in the country throughout the entire season. I think North Carolina was better than them. Obviously, Villanova beat them on the court on the day it counted – but if you look at the roster, the more talented roster, in my opinion, was North Carolina. They should have won that game, but they didn't. So it just goes to show you that if you get into a tournament setting, I mean, anybody, not should like say anybody, but if your talent is close enough, even if you're not quite as talented as the team you're playing, if it's close enough, anything can happen on any given day when you get into that system. So it's just a matter of getting there, especially when you only have to win two games as opposed to winning six in an way basketball tournament. So you're right, I think getting in there, and if you look at our schedule, I'm not going to say that we're definitely going to – get even if we can run through uh, the regular season with no losses or one loss, which I still think is – yeah,
0: uh, you, you know you have to beat the gauntlet of
1: Obama. You know, yeah, whoever's going to be in the SEC West. I mean, so I, – I, and I still don't know that we're going to go through a season one loss or no loss. I think mean, that still might be a little premature at this point. But the, I think you're right in saying the opportunity is there. I think we have some players on our team that are national talent, national title caliber. But I don't know if our entire roster is there yet. And the guys who are national title caliber are pretty young, outside of guys like Nick Chubb and Sonia Michelle. So I think we need to. I, I would feel more comfortable saying that yes, we're legit national talking contenders if we fast forward a year going into 2018, where Kirby's first, uh, I guess his partial class, the 2016 class, they're juniors. His first full class, 2017 cycle, they're sophomores. You get another two 2018 class to add in there. I would feel more comfortable saying that going into 2018, 2017. I think it's possible, but I'm not sure. I'd sit here and say it's likely. I don't. I think 20 to one odds might be, it might be a little bit of a of a reach right now. I mean, is that do you completely disagree with that? No, not at all. Yeah. All right. So uh, before I list the reasons, so Pro Football Focus, I'm going to list them out here and give out the reasons that they uh, said that we're going to potentially make a national title run this year. We're going to break those down. But uh, Curtis, did you read the article, right? The one I sent yeah. to you? Yeah, so you read it. So I wasn't going to give you a chance to guess if you hadn't read it, but since you read it, uh, I'm not going to do that because that would make no sense since you already know. But here's what the, the guys had to say. And the guys at Pro Football Focus, it was a guy named Gordon McGinnis. You think he's got any Irish in him? Um, he's the guy that wrote the article. He lists three reasons why he or they at Pro Football Focus think the odds are dropping – for our chances to win the national title, like we're getting closer and closer to being a team that should be considered a legit title contender, uh, and why they think we could really be a legitimate, a legitimate national title contender in 2017. So they list three reasons. The, I'm going to list them here. That we'll go over each one in detail. The first thing he lists is that we have quote arguably the best backfield in the nation. So that's number one. We'll get, get to that in a second. Uh, number two, and this is what he had in the headline here to talk about this section, was quote. Progression from Jacob Eason? Question mark, uh, and then number three, the relative weakness of the SEC. So those are three reasons. Arguably the best backfield in the nation. Hopefully seeing some progression from Jacob Eason, and the, as you mentioned with the schedule, the relative weakness of the SEC East. I should specify not just the SEC. So let's start with the first thing that he mentioned up there. And this is what he did, de- and this is the order he detailed uh, these uh, reasons in his article with. So he says, "Quote, arguably the best backfield in the nation." Do you agree with that claim that we can have a we have a legitimate argument to claim that we're the best backfield in the nation coming into twenty seventeen?
0: I think without a doubt, coming back this year, I think you should, you should see Nick Chubb closer to 100 percent. Yeah, um, Sony Michelle, I think, is very undervalued. Um, the guy can do so many great things. Um, and then underutilized you also too. Exactly, and then you also look at what we've caught coming back. Other than those two, you—I mean—you got Brian Harion, who should be serviceable in his second year. Um, I think you're going to see Holyfield take a bigger step as long as he, know, stays injury um, free. Injury free, Because yeah. that's really what, that's what held him back. And at the same time, you signed a stud back in DeAndre Swift, who is more closer to Sony Michelle that can do so is so versatile that you, you're you're a legitimate 5 deep in your backfield and you don't have any weak links like a Tay Crowder or Brendan Douglas in your backfield anymore. I mean, you have 5 legitimate studs.
1: Yeah, and he didn't even and the thing is he like he didn't even mention those guys that we have behind the scenes behind Chubb and Sony kind of waiting in the wings. He just was talking about exclusively Chubb and Sony. Uh, but you are right. Like if one of those guys go down, I feel pretty good about the guys that we have to step in and take their place. They're they're not necessarily at Nick and Sony's level yet, but Hey, they the, one of these guys is going to be our next great back. If you had to guess of those three guys, who would you who would you give the nod to? Is like the guy who's going to – if Nick or Sony happened to go down, who would be the guy that's going to be able to best step in and kind of fill their shoes? Is it going to be Harry? Is it going to be Holyfield? Is it going to be Swift? I'm going to go his? with
0: Holyfield. I think yeah. Swift is going to – he could progress quickly, but I think they're going to try to bring him along a little slower because they have the ability to.
1: I'm thought i would tell you, man. People are so badly sleeping on Elijah Holyfield. That he, I guess he fell out of favor with the fan base because he didn't play much last year because he got hurt uh, right before the season started. He was actually the third back, uh, at least by judging what I saw at the open practice and just talking to some people around the program. But he got a little ankle injury, um, set him back. Herring came in, uh, was able to come in ahead of him there after the ankle injury. He performed well on the field, so he kind of you know took over that spot for a while, but it's going to be open again for that third spot this well, what year. Well,
0: I have to say, Harriot, he came on the scene quickly, but the few carries he got as the season went on, they were very, not very good. He was just running straight ahead. He wasn't instead.
1: as He's explosive, look, well,
0: yeah. Yeah, he wasn't looking for the openings.
1: I'm just, like, and I know I, I watched him in high school a lot. I, I uh, only saw him at one open practice. I will guarantee, I, I would not guarantee, I will admit that. I will, I will give you that. But, at that open practice, he was the most explosive player that I saw in our backfield. And if Sony and Nick weren't getting a ton of work because we kind of knew what we had in them, but he Holyfield stood out to me. And I, I said at, at that point, I like, dude, this guy is, he's got it, man. He's going to be one of the next great ones we've got here. And I, I still believe that. Uh, we'll see. Uh, Swift's, Swift's a g- really good running back, too. I want to see what he does at the college level. I think he's got all the skills that, needs, that he needs. But um, it'll be, hey, we can't go wrong with any of those three guys. So it's, it's a good problem to have. Um, would you say, though, that Chubb wasn't himself for most of the year last year?
0: Yeah, I think it, that could easily be said.
1: Yeah, and so if he was I do think that's definitely true. I think especially in the first half of the season. Do you think he kind of came on towards the end of the season?
0: I would say the TCU game was the first time he looked really fresh or as a better running back since the North
1: Carolina game. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, obviously to start of the season, he started off with a bang at North Carolina. But after that point, from that point through most of the rest of the regular season, he was clearly not the Nick Chubb of old, the Chubb that we were used to, and that's not his fault. I mean, the guy probably shouldn't have been playing most of last year. I mean, that that's just a testament to, to his willpower and his work ethic. I Love him, man. Um, but I think it's pretty clear if you watch him, he wasn't the same Nick Chubb. He could still do a lot of the things he was able to. He, he always did, but. Not everything. He didn't quite have that burst, that explosion, that acceleration that we were kind of used to seeing him with. It also doesn't help when you're running behind uh, a ridiculously terrible offensive line. Of course, that doesn't help matters at all. Uh, but I, I don't think he was himself most of the year, but I would argue that he came on towards the end of the season. And, I, and Gordon McGinnis makes that point, and I totally agree with him. I'm going to give you some numbers to back that up. Uh, going back to 2014, when he bust on the scene after uh, Gurley had his whole brush with the NCAA, well, he... In basically a half of a season as a starter, in 2014, Chubb, he forced 63 missed tackles on 219 carries, okay? In 2015, the first couple games before he gets hurt uh, at Tennessee in that joke of a field they actually call a field, he had uh, 23, he forced 23 missed tackles on 92 carries. very good, that's both, basically both those numbers are right around uh, the four range. Basically a missed tackle every four carries, which is very good but in 2016 over the course of his first four, first eight games he only forced 19 missed tackles on 124 carries that's a major drop off in 15 he had 23 in his half a season or so in 2015 he had 23 missed tackles he forced 23 missed tackles on on 92 carries in 2016 he had four fewer missed tackles on let me do the math here 32 more carries so he clearly was not the same Nick Chubb but I, but listen to this after his first eight games this year, he forced twenty missed tackles on ninety-nine carries over the final five games. So he's much more himself, much closer to being himself later in the season. And to me, that leads me to believe that there's gonna be some big things in store for him in seventeen. That portends big things in two thousand seventeen for Nick Chubb. But I think he'll be closer to the old Nick Chubb. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you and I though we were kind of advocating to see around the middle of the season, cl- seeing that Chubb wasn't—he clearly was not himself. And we both thought the best thing that we could do offensively was to spread the field a little bit because Eason was more comfortable there. We were having trouble with the offensive line getting movement. So we wanted to spread the field, and we thought Sony was a better fit there. Would you argue that Sony, uh was a better player than Nick Chubb last year?
0: Yeah, easily. I mean, the thing is, you know, it kind of goes back to like the high school football where you don't really have developed linemen that you just need to hold it for a couple seconds to allow the – back who's qu- usually quicker to get through and that's what happened sony would hit the hole so much quicker than chubb that he could get through the opening before it closed where chubb was having trouble exploding through it yeah it
1: was just an explosion i mean it wasn't i mean chubb could explode at a what it's a good level for really anybody else but it wasn't the same as what we were accustomed to seeing from him and i do think he improved on that as the year went on he got a little more comfortable there a little more explosion back in the knee but i think sony had that all year long and like i a lot as a if they're both 100 percent healthy who's the better back they're different you know, to a degree.
0: It's different because Sony could do so many different things. But if you're going for a pure running back, I think you have to go with Chubb.
1: I agree. Uh, I, I do think that Chubb is the better overall back. Um, but, man, I, Sony, I don't think it's enough credit. I think he's almost just as good as Chubb. And I, And, like we were talking about, I do think he was maybe actually a little bit better than Chubb last season. That doesn't mean when Chubbs fully healthy, Sony's better back. But last season, for most of the year, I would argue that Sony was probably our best option, although we didn't really use him that way. And give you some numbers to back that up. Last year, Sony averaged five and a half yards a carry. He averaged three point one yards a carry after contact. That, and that's why I've always said it, it drives me freaking nuts when I hear people call him a scat back. Like he's not. All these people that want to make Sony Michelle out to be a scat back, they you're crazy. The dude can put his shoulder down and run through tackles with the best of – I mean, the dude broke his shoulder. He broke his scapula his freshman season against Tennessee running over a safety. Okay? He's a physical back. Yes, you're right, Curtis. When you talk about him being versatile. No doubt he's versatile. But don't you think it's just because he's versatile, he kind of gets this, this uh, label as a, kind of a scat back, a finesse type back?
0: Yeah, he does.
1: And I, Do you think that's fair, though? Not at all. I don't. I mean, the numbers back that up either. what My eyes tell me it's not fair, and then the numbers right there back it up. Five and a half yards to carry, 3.1 yards to carry after contact. That's that's big time, man. So he absolutely can line up and run between the tackles with the best of them, which is what makes him versatile. Because he can do that, but you can also line him up um, in the slot. You can line him up out wide if you want. Uh, you can line him up in a wing, which we did a couple times this season. Um, obviously, you can line him up um, – and a shotgun and, get, and work him on the edge, but he can also run between the tackles. Between the tackles, he's very versatile. I would very much like to see us use him in some different ways this year. I, I think he's one of those guys that's just been, whether it was under the under Rick's coaching staff or now last year with Chaney, I, I don't know if we've really used him like we should use him or like he could be used to maximize his talents during his time in Athens, and I hope that changes this year. All right, so I think we're both in agreement that with point number one that we have arguably the best backfield in the nation – yeah. I think I think absolutely Gordon McGinnis is onto something there. So I'll give him a check mark there. Or right, let's go on to his second point that he believes that we're going to see some progression from Jacob Beeson or at least that if we're going to be the national title contender that he thinks we can be, we have to get some progression from Jacob Beeson. You agree with that, right? Like that's yeah, pretty I mean, obvious. Yeah, that's a no brainer.
0: Yeah.
1: But the question I'm going to ask you now though is do we see that progression from Jacob Beeson? Does he take I that, you, that second that next step in his I, second year?
0: I think you are going to see him take the next step because I think the biggest telltale sign was, you know, he had pretty good numbers when he had a clean pocket. And yep. he didn't He didn't when he was under pressure. But to me, that's expected as a freshman. I mean, first off, it's hard enough for a freshman to start, to, to be a freshman and start in the SEC. And, to, and to let alone be in a situation where you're learning a whole new offense and everything, and then to think that you're under pressure the whole time makes things really difficult for a true freshman quarterback that's not a dual threat.
1: Yes. Uh, now,
0: while I think his numbers could have been a little bit better, it didn't help him, the fact that he's always under pressure and was always on the run or you know, not not getting enough time to allow things to open up when he was in that system.
1: Yeah, I'm going to give you some more numbers. I know I'm the numbers guy here. Uh, sorry if you don't like them, but I think it does give you some good insight. I told you, Pro Football Focus is pretty analytical about things. So talk about uh, his performance in a clean pocket versus performance under pressure, just to, to kind of illustrate your point for you. When Eason had a clean pocket, he completed sixty two percent of his passes for a shade over two thousand yards, averaged seven point one yards per attempt, threw fourteen touchdowns to six interceptions, and had a ninety one point two quarterback rating when he had a clean pocket.
0: Yeah, for those people that say Eason's not that good, that's pretty good numbers for fresh. For a
1: true freshman with a clean pocket. But, here's the flip side of that. Under pressure, he completed 31% of his passes for 396 yards, only 4.5 yards per attempt, because he's checking it down primarily, two touchdowns to two interceptions, and a 45.5 quarterback rating. So, significantly worse numbers when he's under pressure. Now, of course... That's going to be the case for most quarterbacks, right? You're going to be better when you have a clean pocket versus when you're under pressure, unless your name's Drew Brees. Yeah, I, gonna... I think that,
0: yeah, that's very true.
1: Yeah, but those are th- that's a pretty catastrophic gulf there between what he can do in a, in a clean pocket versus when he's under pressure. Do you think he's going to improve on that this season? Because he needs to.
0: I, I think he will see an improvement, because I think it's going to be one of those things where it almost becomes – you know, muscle memory of what to do in each situation. That, you know, as much as we wanted him to be where, he, you know, where we because we all thought he was the savior right away, that muscle memory still wasn't there. He's still trying to learn how to read these SEC defenses. I mean, you can see it when he go to the sidelines and um, you'd see him and Cheney talking in person or on the phone but about their defense. I mean, there's times where they said where um, he'd come off and Chaney would be like, what would you see? And he'd say that, and Chaney's like, no, this is what you saw. So I think once he learns, understands, I mean, I think he's going to get to the point that he's going to know what each team's throwing at him. And that's going to be able to get, make him be that much quicker making a decision.
1: Yeah, the under-pressure situation with him, that's just like, he just didn't, he didn't, he didn't, when you're under pressure like that and your head's swimming, your head's already swimming, swimming. So it's tough enough for you even with a clean pocket. But when you get pressure in your face and you start to kind of panic and you don't really understand exactly where to go with the ball, you're not that seasoned in, in the system in the program, you're gonna make some poor decisions. You're gonna throw the ball away, you're gonna make some inaccurate throws, you're gonna tuck it and try to run and get sacked. I mean there's a there's a lot of bad things that are gonna happen in that scenario. And I think you're right. If he's more familiar with the system, more comfortable in the system, understands defensive coverage, because let's be honest, coming into, high, coming into college, Jacob Eason did not really truly understand most defensive coverage he's going to be facing uh, in college. And not only that, then you're going to have to adjust to the speed of the game on top of that, how fast those guys move, how tight the windows are. It's very difficult. I'm going to
0: be honest, too. I would like to also see how good his numbers would have been if he didn't have all those drops. Like when he was under pressure and would just throw some act absolutely beautiful balls that would get dropped like those one at all missed, this um two touchdown passes i mean that would have improved his numbers his sure. um yardage by at least i think he could have gone up by at least three to 400
1: yards and that was one of mcginnis's point in this article did i say that mcginnis i'm pretty sure it's mcginnis um but he uh he pointed he actually had some video clips to back it up and these are throws and i mean i remember them all vividly um uh, and some of the throws you're talking about, like at Missouri, the beautiful throw to McKenzie in the, in the back corner of the end zone, dropped. Now McKenzie's uh, making up for it winning the game, but beautiful pass, dropped. Against so Ole Miss, a couple beautiful passes, dropped. Had one with McKenzie, uh, one with um, with what? Stanley. Stanley, yeah, Jason Stanley. Yep, absolutely. Uh, which could have kind of kept us somewhat alive in that game. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so he ha- he's had those moments where he makes just absolutely ungodly throws that are like, okay, yep, that's the guy we were expecting. But he also had the bonehead moments, like the maybe the worst interception I've ever seen in my life against Georgia Tech that cost us that game, like not even close. So he had throws like that. So you had some really high moments, the game winner against Missouri, uh, the couple, the late drives win against Kentucky, the should have been game winner against Tennessee, although maybe there was a lot of luck in that, but still had the ability to do that and the and the guts and the balls to do that. Um, so he had those high moments. But then you also had like the "what the hell are you doing" kind of moments. So for McGinnis, and I agree with him wholeheartedly here, for for us to be a national title contender next year, Easton has to have a lot more of the great moments. So those have to be a lot more frequent, and he has to cut down on some of those like "what the hell" moments, you know? Like, and I, I think I think it's easier said though. I mean,
0: going into it, but I also think that he's going to have better weapons around him. I think our wide receivers should be better, and at the same time, I think our offensive
1: line. Though they will more likely be young, will still be better. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. I think he should make some progression this season. But I'm if going.
0: Said, I was, if you read some of the articles, especially when they were able to talk to him, they said, especially after the Georgia Tech game, he, he you know, when the dead, dead not the dead period, but the off time started, he was in there watching a lot of films. So it's not like he's he's getting lackadaisical.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not suggesting he is at all uh, I would just no, my, no, I'm, just, I'm yeah. just
0: saying that he you know it shows that he is wanting he knows that he's got things to work on so that should I mean p- putting in the time can be a big difference I mean look at Bryce Ramsey if he had ever put the time in he could have been the
1: guy I've always said when talent meets preparation and work ethic, that's when you have greatness man I didn't come up with that of course but I've lived by that man and I, I believe it so there's a lot of great players out there guys who have a lot of talent but when when you don't have the work ethic and the willingness to prepare along with it. You're not going to be great. You might be okay, but you're not going to be great. So hopefully Eason has that. We'll see. I, I hope that's the case. Uh, but I will say the one thing that – well, let me ask you this. What was the biggest? What was his biggest weakness this year in your mind? Because I have something in mind, but I'm going to see what if you're thinking along the same lines. Mechanics mechanics i i think it comes back to that but i would say accuracy which a lot of that has to do with mechanics to a degree
0: yeah because there's times where he was opening up his body too much and he wasn't getting his feet oh yeah yeah
1: his his that's, yeah he fly why open why
0: I try to just make it um, you know you could put accuracy in everything
1: and part of that's mechanical. under pressure too coming back to the pressure like when you get pressured and you're panicking back there like you're your mechanics fly out the window, and you revert back to your old ways as you haven't had enough reps in that in in what you're supposed to be doing at the college level. In,
0: that's very true. That's where I said that muscle memory comes in. Because if he's if he's a cool, I mean, he was still pretty cool under pressure. I mean, oh, he was, was clutch as could
1: be, dude. There's no question about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, he. I mean, even though he's getting pressure, it's not like he was just running around like a dead you know chicken without its head. I mean, he
1: still well, kept there were a cool couple motion. moments.
0: I mean, there were a couple moments, but at the same time, I mean, more did more than what you expect like you said you know when you're under pressure sometimes especially when you don't have that true muscle memory yet your mechanics aren't always going to be there
1: yeah true i just i think he can improve his accuracy somewhat i think his accuracy numbers like, i think about 56% completion percentage i think that will improve somewhat just based on the fact that he'll understand coverage a little better I think he could be rather 70% yeah yeah i hope what he needs to be like I, and I think we will get closer to that because He'll understand the system a little more. He'll understand defenses. i have experience along with him. He'll know where to go with the ball. He'll understand where to go with his checkdowns. He'll be more comfortable taking checkdowns. So if he does those things, then his completion percentage should increase a little bit there. But as in terms of his accuracy as a passer, I I, I go back and forth. I At some level, I think that quarterbacks, in terms of their accuracy at this level, you kind of are who you are. Like, yes, you can work on some things mechanical-wise, but... I don't know if he'll ever be a super accurate passer. Is I
0: mean, that, I don't know. I mean, you can could, you could say that about anyone. I mean, look at Stafford. I
1: mean, well, I don't think Stafford's a super accurate passer. He, I mean, well, his numbers did improve a, a little bit over his career. I uh, was like, also um, saying, I mean, it's, a lot of it goes – there's a lot of different factors I think that go into his accuracy. Oh, actors, no. Cool. I, well, I'm talking about putting the ball on the money. In terms, there's a lot of different factors that go into completion percentage. Receivers got to get open. Receivers got to catch the ball. You have to be protected by your offensive line. You need to understand where you're going with the coverages and, and know your checkdowns and be willing to take those. There's a lot of things that go into completion percentage. But I'm talking like when a guy's open like, and putting the ball on the money, I don't know how much more he'll improve well, on honestly, that. I, agree. Career. I think
0: the one thing he could really work on would be his deep ball
1: accuracy. Uh yeah <laughs> yeah no doubt man I mean he it it, it's, it was it sucked like when when he'd put the ball where it should have been uh, put it on the money on those deep balls and those shots those layups that he would give a chance that Channing gave him a chance and when he dialed him up the receiver would drop him more often than not when the receivers do their job and get open and are running free ready to score a touchdown Eason would miss them badly sometimes so it's kind of like we just we couldn't get on the same page uh, offensively they were trying to hit those vertical shots hopefully that changes it needs to change because our offense is not going to be as effective as it can be. Uh, unless we do that. Uh, last question here about Eason, um, and then we'll move on to the last point here about the schedule. Do you really think they have it right at Pro Football Focus? Do our 2017 national title hopes really hinge more so on Jacob Eason and his progress than they do anything else? Because that was basically what they were intimating in this article. Does it, is it really to coming down I, to Eason? To me, I
0: believe it because I think you have a – a lot of weapons returning on the defense, and I think we're going to replace some of our weak links as of, in the season. I think you're going to see um, – I, I mean, you'll miss Maury Smith, but I think Richard LeCount should come in there, and I think you're going to, you're going to challenge someone like an Aaron Davis, who I think is at times a weak link in our defense. Um, um, so His I experience, think experience, but I, you're
1: right. He's, he's limited athletically.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could say the experience about Mache, too. Um, true, but true, true. I think mean, defensive line, as long as Ledbetter stays out of trouble, I mean, if he's able to play a full season, you're going to see a lot of great things out of our defensive line. Hopefully see it with Trent coming into year three, if he can keep going what he did last year, um, and the younger guys coming into their own, and, and the, you know, where they're not freshmen anymore, it's going to be huge. And I think our linebackers, I think you are definitely going to – I think, honestly, and I know we've been saying it for a while, but – for Bellamy, um, I think you're gonna see him be more consistent because this is his last chance, and Lorenzo Carter as well too. I, I think inside linebacker wise, we're pretty got some great guys. Yeah, I. So I, th- I think it's up to the offense to put up the numbers. Okay, it's
1: up to the offense. Op- but is is does do our hopes hinge more so on Eason and his progress than anything else? Would you say yes to that?
0: Yeah, because I think a good quarterback can make up for quite a bit.
1: Uh, okay. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely an argument to be made guess, there. I'm going to slightly me, I, disagree with you.
0: To me, I think it honestly depends on the offensive line how they. hold Yes. Up. Yes. You know, yes. Happened in most games, like the Missouri game, should had to throw it 50 yes. This offensive line could do nothing with running.
1: That's you know? what I'm talking about. Like I, this article that McGinnis wrote for cool. football just focus. Like,
0: yeah, just like you know we're talking about a clean pocket. Eason did well with a clean pocket. Right. So you need more of produce. them. Yeah, and if the offensive line can produce a clean pocket more often than not. Eason's going to have a great season.
1: Yeah, so like I think Eason improving is important. He needs to improve for us to reach our potential as a program. There's no doubt there, but his improvement I don't think is the most important factor in terms of where our national title hopes might possibly hinge over the next year or two. To me, no, and this is— I,
0: yeah, I don't think he can improve without the offensive line improving themselves.
1: No. I, I don't think—yeah, I, I don't think he can improve as much as he could. He needs to. And for me, and this is what it comes down to for me— uh, this power based system that we appear to be like basically dead set on running and establishing as i mean as our offensive identity like it's not think about it it's not the type of system that's reliant on elite quarterback play is it i I don't think so I mean don't get me wrong like with any system you need good smart keyword smart quarterback play and a guy that can hit layups off play action when they're there, when those opportunities are there but this system that we're apparently dead set on running is not designed to be quarterback-centric. It's not. I mean, do do you disagree with that? No, I don't. Yeah, so, I mean, to me, this system, rather than being quarterback-centric, it's more so a power-based, run-heavy system. It's much more reliant on elite offensive line play. I mean, Kirby himself has said it over and over again in press conferences. All i got to do is listen. It's just, that's the fact. The basis of our offensive philosophy is that we're going to lean heavily on the run— Force opposing defenses to react to our success on the ground, and then once they do so and they react, open up more throwing windows um, by throw, by uh, hitting some deep balls through play action down the field. But it all comes back to being able to run the football first and foremost. I mean, really think about like our offense. Our offense this year. Why do you think we struggle so much offensively this year? Offensive line, offensive right? Line. I mean, like, like you mentioned this earlier with Eason. For, he was actually pretty good this year, considering he was a true freshman learning to play under center for the first time, right? I mean, he was pretty good. I mean, people get people had unrealistic expectations for him, but that's not his fault. I mean, he put up twenty five hundred yards passing, a sixteen to eight touchdown interception ratio, basically a two to one touchdown interception ratio. Yeah, like we mentioned, he missed far too many of the easy layups that we dialed up for him. And he's got to work on that accuracy, but all things considered, like he he had a pretty solid true freshman campaign. It's not his yeah, fault. he had-
0: I mean, a, a couple of those picks were on the
1: receivers, yeah. And a couple of those dropped. The one against Nichols, Denver. you're right.
0: And South Carolina too. Yeah, Wims didn't do the job.
1: Yeah. So I mean, like we had unrealistic expectations that we all heaped on. I mean, I'm as guilty as anybody. But like he was really solid in clutch in key moments. We mentioned that earlier too. Like the reason we struggled consistently to move the ball offensively, and I, th- I think you agree with me, is just because our offensive line was a disaster. It was, it was, we were just, we, our line was a woeful fit for the, the philosophy offensive that we wanted to run. It doesn't matter, and, and, we, and we were dead set on running that, no matter how many games it cost us in the short term. I mean, think about this. Think about this, Kurt. If we would have even had just a serviceable offensive line last season, we would have likely won 10 games and been playing the SEC title. Do you, do you disagree with that?
0: Oh, no, not at all. I mean,
1: really, Think like seriously, think about some of the games we lost. Vanderbilt, we couldn't bust a freaking grape up front. Florida, like our offensive line was overwhelmed just by looking at the Florida front seven. We had no chance in those games because our line didn't give us a chance. We almost lost to a terrible Missouri team. Why? Because the Missouri defensive line flat out dominated the line of scrimmage and a true freshman quarterback in his first road start and a 5'7 slot wide receiver had to bail us out. So for me, as much as I do respect pro football focus... I really think they missed the mark. Not so much in calling us a national title contender. I mean, I think that might be a little premature. But they missed the mark by failing to mention the critical importance of improvement along our offensive line. Like we've got to improve there. It doesn't matter how much Easton improves, if we don't have offensive line, a pretty significant offensive line improvement, we're not going to make a dark horse, casual playoff run. We're just not. So that's one thing I think they left out there. there um, is pretty glaring. All right, last thing. We'll wrap this up real quickly for you guys. And we talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the show, so we won't spend too much time on it. The third factor, they said, that gives us a chance to make a dark horse national title run this season is the relative weakness of the SEC East. Are you on board with that? Do you really think the East uh, is weak enough for us to to make a run through the through the division and get into Atlanta?
0: I honestly do. I think there's a lo- the East is gonna, as low as it's going to be for a while. Uh, South Carolina, while they're still going to be better, they're
1: still waiting for some more pieces to be a complete team. Tomorrow, oh, they're I still – yeah. they're off.
0: Yeah, Florida, this is going to be one of their weakest teams in a while because they lost almost everyone on defense. And this is year three under McQueen, so his players should be taken over, but he hasn't recruited
1: he recruit. at the level. Shit, sorry, shouldn't say that. But he exactly, hasn't.
0: he hasn't recruited at the level to make them defensively what they have been. And they haven't recruited at the level to increase their offense, any, so they've won because of defense. So I don't know – Especially with all the pieces they've lost, that they're going to be able to do
1: that. And think about what they're losing Tennessee. on defense: losing both corners, Quincy Wilson and Tiber. You're losing both inside what? linebackers and Anzalone and uh, Davis. Ford, uh, D, uh, D linemen. You got you losing Caleb Brantley, who I think was one of the best teams linemen in the, in the country last year. Didn't even get talked about that much. He was very disruptive. You losing Brian Cox Jr. I mean, you, dude, they're losing a lot, and that, that's what they've been leaning on the past couple years. I don't see the talent coming up. I mean, like you said, Muschamp left them stocked. Well, since he's gotten into town into Swampland, USA, old McIlwain, old donkey teeth there, hadn't done anything to recruit. So I I, I think they might be falling off here. I, I really do.
0: Tennessee, I don't – Tennessee offensively, I think they're going to be down. They lost um, both running backs. Uh, Josh Malone at wide receiver. Quarterback. They lost – yeah, the quarterback, of course. So, I mean, they're going to have a lot to do. Jalen Reeves, in.
1: Mabin. Derek Barnett.
0: Jalen Reeves. I think losing Barnett changes their defense That's tremendously. Terrible for them. He, he, yeah, I mean, he, he really. Cam Sutton, too.
1: Sorry, I kind of, didn't make that job. But Cam Sutton at corner.
0: Yeah, I mean, they lost a lot of weapons. While they have some guys returning that got experience, we saw that they were not the same level as the other guys.
1: No, there's clearly not. I mean,
0: Kentucky, Kentucky will be a good again, but I don't think that they're going to be what they were last year. I mean, you lose the Stanley Boom, um, while the other guy was good. Some people don't realize that the two, having two of them makes him that much better because he's fresher.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, Vandy loses, and we get camp. yeah, we get Kentucky at home. Yeah, you're right. We get yeah, and Vandy, like dude, we're gonna beat Vandy. I'm, I'm just I'm gonna say that right now. I can get I'm gonna guarantee that. Knock on wood, but I'm gonna guarantee. guarantee. Uh, but I mean, listen, in our, in our crossover games, we're at Auburn late in the season. Mm, Could be tough. Uh, but we've had some success there of late. in the Mississippi State at home. I will say though, Mississippi. I, I, look, I, of course, I'd much rather play Mississippi State than LSU or Alabama uh, teams the, of the that nature. You have to
0: game yeah, I'm
1: saying, about Mississippi so State's going to be a. They're not. They're not. They're not going to win the West, but they're going to beat some teams. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald yeah. is a perfect fit for that offense, and he's a he is, good quarterback. He's just so wildly inconsistent. Too. Well, yeah, but he, and he was in his first significant playing time too. Now he's a redshirt, but still, his first significant playing time. He got better as the season progressed. And Dan Mullen, when he's got the quarterback he needs, whether it's Tebow, whether it's Dak Prescott, he's dangerous. When he doesn't have the quarterback he needs, he's not that good. Fitzgerald is the type of quarterback that he needs. So I'm glad we have that game at home. I know people are going, oh, it's, it's, it's Mississippi State. They suck. I get it. They're not a power program, but... That we can't overlook that team. Okay. They're good enough to beat us no, if we I'm don't just, play. I'm shameful well. that we get them at home is the thing. Yeah, and, and look compared player. to who else we could play from the West, I, I'll take them all day.
0: Yeah, okay. I mean it's better than going all miss last year at the time we did. We got screwed.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I wish we would have played them a month and a half later would a lot easier. So I do think the SEC East is relatively weak. Uh and I and I think that if you look at where we're trending up as a where we're trending up as a program based on our recruiting class and the energy around our program right now and the recruiting. Or a couple recruiting classes. The other programs are kind of starting to trend down somewhat. At least the, our our primary competitors with Florida Actually, and Tennessee, Tennessee and Florida. right? And then you have Kentucky's kind of trending up a little bit, but I still don't think they're a legitimate contender. Vanderbilt's somewhat trending up. but Come on, it's it's in the long term it's Vanderbilt. South Carolina's making some progress under Muschamp. They're a little bit ahead of schedule this year, but there's there's still so many talent holes on that roster. So I I think we should win the East. I'm not sitting here. I'm not ready to sit here and say we will. I gotta, I'm gonna think about this a little bit more of the off season, examine things. But I think it's totally reasonable and realistic to say that we should win the SEC East next year. Sure, we still have plenty of holes in our roster that we are still working to fill. But so do all the other teams in our division. And in my opinion, who we return with guys like Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, Lorenzo Carter, Davin Bellamy, Trent Thompson, Roquan Smith, Nate Patrick, etc. Combine that with the recruiting advantage we have had over our division rivals over the past two cycles in terms of who we're bringing into the program add those to the guys that we have coming back, the big-time players, the big-time contributors, that all should combine to give us an advantage in the East. And if we win the East, you get into the SEC title game, anything can happen. it happen you win that game, you're probably in the playoff. So I don't think they're too far off there. I think they might be a year premature with calling us a national title contender, but I, I could see a scenario of things falling into place, which you can't always guarantee that's going to happen. You can't expect that to happen. But it happens from time to time. If things fall into place... I think we could potentially uh, be that team, maybe, maybe, maybe. All right. So, uh, got anything else on that, Kurt? No. All right. Well, that's it for us today, guys. So, definitely appreciate you tuning in today. We always do. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. We, I definitely enjoyed talking some some on the field football. I know it's the off season here; it's February. Got some time, but. Uh, do appreciate you listening remember get those questions in for us for the listener mailback show anything you want us to talk about georgia sports related or maybe even not if you have some other random questions throw them on there too have some fun with it so hit us up over the course of the next week or so and we will make sure to answer your questions on our listener mailback episode next week so curtis i'm tyler as always go dogs